Yo, this is episode six of Beers and Buckets, the only college basketball podcast that reviews beer and the only beer review podcast that talks college basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Connor, and like always, I'm joined by Kyle. Actually, not joined by Kyle and Matt tonight, but I'm joined by Dal, and we have a special guest with Michael Beard with OSM Bracketology. Mike, how are you, man? I'm great. I'm great. It's been a it's been a really busy weekend for me. Uh, I was I was a best man best man in one of my best friend's wedding. So uh, I've, I've been a little, just a tad bit out of the loop compared to what I normally am in uh, college basketball, but I've, I've caught up a little bit today, um, kind of reviewed what I needed to review. And uh, I'm just glad to be on here, brother. I've been waiting for my debut for a minute. Yeah, I was, I was waiting to get you on. I know we talked about you were, you've been a loyal listener from day one. So I really appreciate that. I was wanting to get you on a little bit late, like right before conference play so that we could talk a little bit bracketology, which we could still do that. But I appreciate you coming on last minute. Like I said, Kyle and Matt were uh, as a little scheduling mishap. And that's what happens when you have four you know, hosts on a podcast. So it's going to things like that are going to happen. But all things considered, it's it's a it's a pleasure to have you on. And I'm really excited for this episode. So there was some big news last night. Did you guys watch the Alabama versus Houston game at all or any of it? I watched uh, toward the tail end of it, yes. Uh, like I said, I, I had just got in. Um, I got in around like 11 o'clock, took me a shower, everything. And, you know, I, I knew the Alabama-Houston game was on, so I flipped it on there. It was like literally, I think there was like a minute and a half left. And I, I got to see the craziness that went on there at the end. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, get to, I got to see the, um, the absurdity that flustered all of college basketball. Yeah, it was it was a little ridiculous. How about you, Dal? Did you catch any of it or see any clips of it? Um, I definitely caught the the highlights. Um, I was kind of flipping back and forth between a couple things, uh, but the takeaway, and I'm sure we'll talk about the goaltending uh, like review aspect of it. The best part about that game, though, was the meme like or the gif of. Nate Oates just sitting there trying to get the handshake from the other coach and everyone's pissed. And he just stood there for like five or six seconds with his hand out and just no one ever <laughs> yeah. shook his hand. That was my favorite part other than Alabama winning. Cause I'd rather Alabama win than Houston, but yeah, it was, yes. I mean, it was like, it was a really good game. It was tough to watch as a Kentucky fan. People were like, Oh, these are two really good teams playing basketball. Couldn't be us. And it's like, Come on, both these teams have lost the worst teams in their like lower tier teams than themselves. So, you know, like uh, Houston lost to Wisconsin, Bama lost to Iona. So it, it, that's the landscape of college basketball this year. It's not like there's a clear cut like favorite like that we thought there was going to be, and that's a good thing for college basketball. And if you're a fan of any team in particular, but yeah, the biggest thing I want to talk about is the goaltend. Um, a lot of debate going on. What do you guys think? Was it goaltender now? Uh, yes, I, I personally think that it was, um, you know, I, I saw a, a different angle that I hadn't seen actually like five minutes before we got started. And, um, you know, it looked it looked like the ball was going down, whether, you know, whether or not it was going to go inside of the rim or not. I have no idea, but um, it, it looked it looked definitely to me like it was a, it was a go to and I understood I understood why uh, Houston was really upset about it. Uh, the players going after the referees into the tunnel. Uh, 
everything like that. But yeah, yeah, I, I think that was definitely a goaltend. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, in my opinion, it was a goaltend. I mean, you can see in the pictures that the ball is partially over the cylinder. Anytime that happens, that's a goaltend. Uh, even if it mm-hmm. bounces out, that's still a goaltend. Because if it bounces out, the ball's on the way on the way down. So right. automatically, it's a goaltend. So yeah. anybody that's on Twitter saying it's not a goaltend, you're wrong. Sorry. Like, it's it's a goaltend. It's not a goaltend because it shouldn't be a goaltend because the goaltending rules are dumb. And that's my take. But it was <laughs> Why are they dumb? Because, like, why can't you hit the ball when it has clearly bounced? And as soon as it hits the rim, you should be able to knock it off like you can in the FIBA rules, which is a teaser for what we'll talk about kind of just in general more with this. But as soon as the ball hits the rim, you should be able to knock it off. I don't understand why that isn't a rule. I think I think if there's a chance for the ball to go in on a shot, then you, like as soon as it hits rim, it should be like, you know, like there should be a goaltending. If it's the, the ball is clearly not going in, like there's no way, like, you know, people block it off the backboard when the ball was not even close to the rim. That those type of goaltends shouldn't be counted, but hitting the rim and it has a chance to roll in, I think it should be counted because that I'd be pissed if it any of it was my team that got screwed on something like that. Yeah, only, problem, only problem with that is that it is tough to make that distinction in real time, and even could be tough to make that distinction in the review process. So you just kind of have to say like, as soon as it hits the rim, let people hit it or don't. But I feel that because I would yeah. definitely be mad if like Wake or Kentucky lost on a play like that where it was about to go in. But I, I think that not only do I think it was a goal 10, but I think that call, even though that it, it wasn't called on the floor, I think that it should be eligible to be reviewed. I think the, that's one of the uh, the rules that uh, maybe should be changed that that kind of thing, which, you know, Kentucky has seen, you know, uh, offensive interference issues with, you know, a ball possibly going in and um, or uh, possi- possibly going out and then, you know, the other team hitting it in, you know, things like that. But, you know, I think definitely, you know, a, a game game on the line, you know, a ball going in or not changing the outcome of the game, I think that that should be able to be reviewed personally. I mean, I think anything under two minutes, if there there's a, an official that's on the sideline watching every play and it's like, ooh, there could be something wrong there, not the ones that are on the court, but ones on the sideline with instant replay that, you know, a timeout's called and they're like, oh, there might have been a foul on that play that we didn't call. We need to make this right. Any, I think any call or anything should be reviewed under two minutes to get it right. Like that's really yeah. crucial under two minutes. Um, right. And like you can make the case that it needs to be done in the whole game, but that'll just kind of slow the game down. But even like NFL, every touchdown is reviewable, regardless if there was a call or not. So like, you know, it was a touchdown, whatever. Like there should be every call, like that even no call should be reviewable in that you know that case. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And that's kind of leading us into the next part of the conversation is that um, college basketball is kind of broken as far as just how it is how it is like it's the only basketball game that's played with two halves instead of four quarters it's the only game that like it's really you're talking about your five fouls which doesn't make sense if you break it down in two halves like it makes no sense at all you should get three fouls per each half you know right. so what are some ways what are some of the changes that need to make to make uh that 
college basketball needs to make to be more marketable and enjoyable? So I, I think that there are uh, multiple things, but I think the the one thing that really uh, grinds my gears the most with uh, with college basketball is the um, just like the how how quick they are to blow the whistle, like call, call a foul or um, you know simple you know guys are being physical, whatever. There are way more fouls called in college basketball than there are in the NBA, and it's borderline unwatchable. If you know, we're all diehard Kentucky fans. Uh, this isn't a Kentucky podcast, but we are we're all Kentucky fans. Kentucky has a significant reason why I'm such a, a big college basketball fan, but and also the NCAA tournament is the best playoff format in all of sports, in my personal opinion. Um, so those two things right there are the main reasons why I watch college basketball. But if those two things didn't exist, I wouldn't watch it because it's borderline unwatchable. There's, there's too many fouls. Um, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Whenever, you know, it, it take, you, you get a team shooting 40 foul or free throws in a game. Like that is one free throw every minute. And that is, that's ridiculous. I 100% agree that like the problem is, is that with NBA, you're not having different refs, you know, like as far as the NBA goes, they're employed by one entity and that's the NBA. So the officials mm-hmm. all have the same style uh, for the most part. They all have the same assignments, but in mm-hmm. college you have ACC refs, which might view things a little bit differently than SEC refs and they officiate the games a little bit differently. And so it became, it just becomes gross. Like I'm sure Houston is not a fan of playing in the against SEC teams now because of the way they officiated that game against Alabama last night. And as, as Kentucky fans, we're all used to just garbage calls like that. And we're like, we're not surprised that, you know, the game turned out with a questionable call because that's the way SEC officials have been for a long time. If we're going to do all of this, then we need to be unified in how we do it, if you, you know what I mean. But, 100%. You know, the biggest thing is that I think they should up to six fouls. But in our group chat that we were talking about, Matt thinks that there should be no foul limits. But when a player fouls, it's two shots and the ball. That's tough because you don't eject a player for five holdings in a football game. Well, that's a little bit different than a foul, though, because a holding takes you back 10 yards, not gives the ball to the other team and an opportunity to score, you know? So right. there is a I, – I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I, I don't believe – I believe there should be a foul limit because you got to play with control. Dal, you have a different opinion. Go ahead and share your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the – you could implement the level of control that you would – Otherwise, that you otherwise get from a foul limit from the coaching side. So, like, say you you have your best player, you know, he is just constantly fouling people. If putting it on the, like, rules to say when you take him out or when he isn't allowed to play anymore seems kind of arbitrary as opposed to, like, if it's on the coaches to say, look, like, you're fouling – you just like can't stop fouling. You're costing our team not only like opportunities, but at this point you're costing us points and possessions because every time you foul, it results in two free throws and the ball for the other team. Like that person becomes unplayable at that point and the control aspect of it of him not being able to play with 
a bunch of fouls, like it still is, it arrives at the same solution. It just is something that you can put on the coach and it involves a little bit more strategy than it does just saying like, oh, you get five fouls, which essentially unless you're a coach that actually adheres to analytics because playing people with two fouls is, in my opinion, very beneficial uh, in some instances. But like the, the oh, you have two fouls in the first half, you're out until – you're essentially sitting until the second half. Like that that not having the limit at the end of the game implies – there's more strategy on the coach to say, all right, well, this player's worth it to potentially get that seventh or eighth foul that's going to give the other team two shots in the ball as opposed to to just saying, like, oh, you got your sixth foul and you're gone. I mean, I see that. I just think, hypothetically, they ha- the other team has a player that just lights it up from three, but they're not very good at scoring two-pointers. What's to stop me from co- as a coach saying, hey, you know, foul them on, you know, don't let them shoot threes. We're just going to foul them, intentionally foul them up front, give them two shots in the ball because they already have the ball, right? So they already have it. So give them two shots and then we'll, we'll get a steal or something. But because they're killing us from three, we can't, we can't keep, we can't guard them on the perimeter. So let's just foul them and uh, make them earn it from the stripe. You know, like. So in, in that, in that case, if that person is going to hit a hundred percent of his threes, that makes sense. Cause you obviously are going to, well, I mean, it doesn't even make sense at that point because you still have to work in the, like, percentages on the amount of, like, possessions you're going to get a steal on. But you're not guaranteed that that person's going to shoot a three. So you found them and giving them two free throws is probably on a, like, points per possession basis. Even if he's just, like, absolutely unconscious, two points and then giving them the ball back is probably a worse decision than just trying to play them straight up and – yeah, yeah, that's fair. I'm thinking like kind of like hack a shack too. How that was, right. uh, you know, like you can you can foul somebody that has a low you know percentage from the line. You know, you're gonna have the analytics behind it and shoot. You know, make sure that you foul somebody that can't shoot from the line. So yeah, um, yeah, I, that would that would be a good thought behind I, it too. I, I think like, I, I think I mentioned it in the group chat, but this would be something that if they did do this, obviously that's a graphic change from like any other level of basketball that exists. Uh, so I would want them to try it somewhere, whether it's, I know they've used the NIT to try out different rule changes in the past or the CBI, but it would be something that they would have to like ease into. They couldn't just like go cold Turkey and just, uh, and just make the rule change from the jump. It would be something that they would have to ease into, but I think it could be an interesting idea. I view it kind of similarly to them implementing the DH and there's like, injury concerns that make that conversation more nuanced on the baseball side. Yeah. Them having the DH kind of takes a level of strategy of when you pinch hit guys, how you work your lineup, like when you bring in pitchers, when you take out pitchers, it involves another level of strategy that is entertaining if you do it in the right way, which like is what this could be in my opinion. But yeah, also, and only really like playing devil's advocate there. I don't know if I actually am fully on board with this unless we like got some sort of confirmation that it worked really well. Yeah. Mike, um, do you watch a lot of NBA? I do. I do. Do you find it more enjoyable in college? Personally? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, so typically, um, typically I watch more NBA than I do college basketball. I'll watch a load of, of basketball in general. 
But um, NBA, I, I just love the style of play. Um, I'm a huge Heat fan, have been since, you know, early 2014 or 2004, sorry. But um, I, I just love the style of play so much better. I haven't watched as much NBA this year as I have in the past. And I think that has a, a little bit to do with, you know, them cramming three seasons into the time frame of Definitely. that we no, no, normally watch two. So I'm a little bit burnt out. Yeah, but, I agree with that. Yeah, so but but yeah, I watch a I watch a lot of NBA. I love love the the style of play, love the the speed of the game. Wish we I wish college basketball had four quarters. I wish they had six fouls. I wish they wasn't so easy on the uh block charge call. Um, yeah. You, you know, I could I could go on numerous different things. So the NBA and and just in the grand scheme of things in the last 10 years is definitely in like has inclined as far as viewership goes and popularity and it's definitely taken a step up and I think it's because the game is quicker more enjoyable it doesn't favor like it doesn't favor uber athletic people anymore if you can shoot it from deep like Steph Curry Um, and and so it's just become more marketable more enjoyable and I think the biggest thing is that the refs don't call tic-tac fouls Um, and that's the problem with college basketball is the tic-tac fouls it's the the game slows down at you know like when you have four minutes left in the, in the game, you know in college basketball that'll take another twenty minutes. You know NBA that could go by pretty quick, so mm-hmm. um, it's just more enjoyable all around. And I think that's what college basketball needs to take a, you know the approach for, especially if we're considering college is preparing for the pros now. For a long time, college didn't really care about what happened with the next level, but the more teams start you know showing showcasing all their players like Kentucky has like you know Duke has like fill in the blank has the more that the that colleges start connecting to their players in the NBA and showcasing their talent and saying like oh they're still producing at this high level the the more college as a whole needs to start embracing the NBA and bridging that gap because really like college doesn't want to lose top players to G league, to overtime league, to elite pro, you know, they don't want to mm-hmm. lose these, the top talent to these development leagues. And so if they're going to do that, then they need, then college needs to become a development league itself. And uh, yeah. it, it's going to take a little bit of humbling and humility in, in that prospect, but it could definitely happen where it benefits both the NBA and college. So Let's uh, move on from this. I think we all agree that you know college needs to change some things. Six fouls or a foul limit or no foul limits, quarters, jump balls instead of possession arrows, and and uh, like you said, like just abolish the charge call. You know, like there's no yes. they they get it wrong more than they get it right. And right. And it really all they do is um, they reward the player that's not trying to do their job. You know, the defender isn't trying to defend; they're trying to get the ball back there and. They're not right. trying to defend the goal. So, all right, I have a, I have a, a like proxy to fixing the block charge call, which is get rid of the like college version of zone defense. So we've seen in the NBA in the last five years that zone defense has become a much bigger part, but they're doing it without being able to just like park one, two, yep. even three people in the paint. Yep. In mm-hmm. playing zone, this is no offense to anyone that likes to play zone except for Jim Beheim because he's the most overrated coach in college basketball. <laughs> the zone, defense, zone defense is the coward's way out. Like it was designed to make less good teams be able to play with better teams. And it's 
it's like a cheat code that we somehow made legal, like allowing Mississippi State to have cowbells in the arena. Like it makes no sense that it's should be allowed in college basketball and it makes it boring. And I'm tired of watching teams in the tournament go up against Syracuse and be like, I've never played against a zone in my life, which is baffling in its own right. But the getting rid of the ability to play zone in the current state where you can just pack the paint would allow the spacing of the college game to be infinitely better. And would again, like to your point, Connor would make it more like a developmental league because you're getting more ready to be able to play zone like you do in either abroad or in the NBA. So it's like, it's not just a like, Oh, how, how can we cater to the, 40 kids that are going to go to the NBA every year. It's also on the international side where like, that's how you're, that's how you're playing defense at the next level. And it should be the way that it is in college too. Yeah. I mean, if the offensive player can't just camp in the paint, then the defensive player shouldn't be able to just camp in the paint. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah. It just makes sense. Put it, make a, a defensive three seconds rule, just like they have in the NBA, and that's yeah. that's going to get rid of a zone immediately. Like, like they, and they play zone, like you said, Dell, in, in the NBA, it's just a, it's a different type of zone. It's like a zone man hybrid, and I I love watching it because, like you said, it's it, it still requires you to be athletic, still requires you to be a good defender. Zones kind of you know like if you're not good on defense, you can play a zone and get away with it because you're not going one-on-one like you said with uh with the most athletic people and typically the more athletic that a team is the you know i guess i typically more athletic a team is the worst shooting team they are um as we've seen in you know at least in kentucky's history the more athletic the less better shooters that they had so you know like when we've gone up against teams with the zone and they dared us to shoot we don't improve so If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now it's time for the beer review. This is the part of the episode where each of us reviews a beer that we've either never had before or just highly recommend. So we didn't have a theme for this week. We decided to go random. And so since we have a guest on, we're going to let Mike go first. So, Mike, what beer you got for us? I got a Holiday Ale uh, from Westside Brewing Company in Cincinnati. Um, it's got a 6.4% uh, alcohol volume and uh, 17 IBUs. Um, I, I bought it. You know, a couple of days ago for the wedding, after the wedding rehearsal I was in. And so, uh, yeah, I was feeling a little bit, uh, I was feeling a little bit in the holiday spirit. So let's try this thing out. It is fire. It is absolutely fire. I could, um, so I bought, I bought a six pack of these and I could definitely drink all six of these in one setting. Pretty crushable. Without a doubt pretty crushable definitely it's not it's not too hard uh it's not hoppy hardly at all um, what does it mean by holiday ale is it like a like a red ale or or an amber ale or what, what do you what would you think it is 
Um, so it says ale brewed with cinnamon, ginger, and sweet orange peel. So, um, it sounds like a, a different flavor. Like I've never yeah. experienced that kind of flavor in a in a drink before. I definitely would want to try it. Sounds pretty good. Absolutely, it, it tastes wonderful. It tastes wonderful. Um, man, uh, if I had to compare this to uh, to a college basketball team coach or player, ooh, let's. Um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm just gonna go with Rick Pitino. Ooh. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Rick Pitino because you know Papa Rick. He's, yeah, Papa Rick because he's clutch. Um, he gets the job done. I mean, you know, he's he's the coach for Iona, and he'd just beat Alabama, who'd just be who who's on a tear right now. So, um, you know, clutch, definitely, um, definitely reliable, and um, definitely gonna go back to him. And it, it doesn't it it doesn't last very long either. So. <laughs> just like Rick, just just like Rick. So, oh man, burn. Let's go, Dow. What you got for us? <laughs> I can say you could drink it in fifteen seconds, so it's uh, it works. Um, okay. All right, I. So I there's a there's a brewery in Lexington. Uh, I think it's just called like the Lexington Brewing Company. I don't know or something, uh, but they make uh, a a lot of beers that they age in bourbon barrels. I today picked the uh, Kentucky Coffee Barrel Cream Ale, uh, which is, I've had it before. It's one of my favorites. They have a vanilla, um, like a vanilla version of this as well. That's really good. I picked this because my favorite beer in Charlotte is this, um, it's this beer called Good Morning Vietnam at Wooden Robot, which if you're ever in the Charlotte area, I highly recommend. Uh, that's like a vanilla coffee, it's like a stout. It's more like just kind of like a blonde ale almost uh, that is vanilla and coffee that is is really good. Um, so I I got this to kind of give a shout out to that. Um, it is 5.5 alcohol by volume. I don't see an IBU on it, but I will give it a, give it a try. Ooh, the coffee is... Very strong. I know on the so the tasting notes it says coffee, grain, toffee, and oak. The coffee and the toffee is a mouthful, but uh, <laughs> that that really comes through. Uh, for is something it, that is it the same people that brew the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale? Yep. Yeah, they have yeah. Kentucky Ale, Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Um, yeah, those are usually pretty strong, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and so it. It has like a strong start. Like the coffee is very, very strong at the beginning, but it it honestly kind of falls off and um, and mellows out a lot. Uh, doesn't really finish all that strong. Um, so kind of with that, I'll compare it to Tennessee uh, basketball because <laughs> they're, they're really good about having some some good teams. Uh, and Can't honestly, like, March. if I if I wasn't a Kentucky fan and didn't have a rooting interest against Tennessee. They'd be really fun to watch a lot of times. Uh, a couple of their guys they've had recently are objectively like guys that I would root for just couldn't because they're in Tennessee uniform. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, the, the strong start and lack of finish is uh, seems to be 
pretty on brand with the the Tennessee basketball program. So yeah, that's what I'll compare it to. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, nice. so I have um, Artisanal Brew Works, which is in Saratoga, Saratoga Springs. I've seen this one at my liquor store for a while. It's a variety pack, but I just grabbed the blue raspberry one. It's a Warheads Extreme Sour Ale. So it's actually like registered by Warheads brand, and I think wow. they have like a mix of it. So I'm excited to try it because, I mean, I, I used to love Warheads back in the day. I I'm, I'm, don't know how I feel about it as a drink, but – like we said, we're going to do random, and I just wanted to try it because I don't know another time that I'd actually try this. You know, I wouldn't buy this just to buy it, but um, unless it's good. So we'll find out here in a second. I so hope this is good. I need another drink of it. <laughs> it is really good. It doesn't even hey. it doesn't even taste like a beer, though. It's, it's super crushable. So it's 5% ABV and 5 IBU. So very crushable, like very crushable. Man, this is really good. Like it almost would be like it's like a white claw in that sense, where but it's not a seltzer though. So that's what I like about it. Cause like I love seltzers, but you know, you get tired of the seltzers and you just want the sweetness of it. This is definitely that 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 type of flavor that you want for it. I mean, it's a malt beverage, so just like a seltzer in that sense, but Wow, I'm jealous. I'll yeah, I'm, I'm excited to try the other flavors, too, because there's uh, there's cherry, um, there's lemon, there's, a, I forget, watermelon, I think is the other one. So this is very good. I, I did not it, make a mistake getting this one. This it, one's I mean, probably it, my favorite beer that I've reviewed on this podcast so far. So Nice. Is yeah. it sour or anything like a Warhead? Or I don't know the last time you, that you've had a Warhead, but I remember like when I was a kid, they were super sour, and then, you know... Yeah, I tried one a couple of years ago. I was like, these aren't as sour as I remember. And I think that's that's probably what it is. It's like you'd think they're more sour when you're a kid because your taste buds are more sensitive probably. So, yeah. I mean, it definitely like – I don't know about you guys, but when I eat something sour, it kind of makes my face sweat a little bit. Like I'm getting that yeah. that, that yeah. feeling, but it's not like super sour like I'm going to have like a, you know, Renee's Wellinger face or anything. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, – <laughs> It's it's a, it's enjoyable though. Like I could say I could definitely try you know crush a couple of these, and they're five percent, so it wouldn't be that bad. But they only serve them in pints. I'm I'm really impressed by it though. All things considered, definitely give them a shout out. Um, in Saratoga Springs, artis, artisanal brew works, and uh, if I had to compare it to a college basketball team, um, you remember like George Mason in two thousand four? I think it was what it was. Yeah. Did yeah. they make it to like the Final Four? Yes, they did. Yeah, I'd say like that. You know, like no one saw this coming. You know, like I've had sour ales before and I did not like them. This one yeah. is definitely better, like infinitely better. So this is a final four worthy sour ale. And I'd say it's like George Mason 2004. So shout out George Mason 2004. And yeah, so that's it for the beer review. We're going to move on to the Shark Tank upsets. Um, this is the part of the show where we pitch uh, games this upcoming week that are primed for upset. But we have to provide stats and reasoning to persuade the other hosts to buy in. So Sharks can either buy a pint, a case, a keg, or they can be totally out. And if they're totally out and think that the other person is ridiculous, they can ask, are you drunk? And then be completely out. So we, I, I have a couple. I, I didn't hear back from Kyle, but Matt really wanted me to pitch um, Memphis over Bama this upcoming week. And uh, 
And he want he said, I'm a gut guy, so I'm just my gut's telling me Memphis over Bama. He says, I really need you to sell it. And I said, I have no stats stats that can prove that Memphis is gonna beat Bama. <laughs> and uh and then he said, Well, Penny has Jesus. So <laughs> that is uh that is his reasoning why he thinks that Memphis is gonna beat Bama and that he just feels it's coming. So what are you guys saying? Are you out in? What are you gonna buy anything on this? Uh... Let me know. Man, uh, you know, Matt shocked us last week with the with the Rutgers over Purdue pick. And, you know, we, everybody told him he was drunk. Yeah, that was ridiculous. But that that was ridiculous. And, um, you know, I personally feel like he was drunk whenever he said this. But, you know, I'm not I'm not buying any of it. I'm not even going to buy, you know, a, um, a, a little can of it. But, uh, you know. Props to him on that pick last week. I don't know. My dad always says <laughs> even a blind squirrel gets a nut. I think yeah. that was his nut because I don't think he's pitched another one. I think, it, I think one. it finds a nut, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he's ever. I don't think he's picked, pitched another game where he's gotten it correctly. If I'm not mistaken, like I think I don't think he, that's his first correct correct pick on on the year. So yeah, that's his that's his blind squirrel nut right there. Nice, and it just ended up being the the biggest upset of the year so far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so I'm I'm going to be out. I don't think he's totally drunk for saying it because, I mean, Memphis does have the talent that could beat Alabama. It's just they don't have the coach. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Their, their length could definitely give Alabama some problems, especially if Alabama comes out cold, uh, cold from three. So that that's something to watch for. And uh, like we've seen before, that good shooting teams will have cold nights. And so – I'm not saying it's totally out of the question, but I'm I'm not confident enough in to put anything on it. So that's my opinion. Yeah, I think, think Jalen Duran can give Alabama really like a lot of problems. He uh I mean he's just so big and physical and Bama plays more of that kind of hybrid stretch five that doesn't really a lot of times have the kind of physicality to to hang with a a big like Duran, but I mean, even with Amani Bates, that backcourt is probably just going to get absolutely fried by yeah by Alabama's backcourt. So I'm not going to call him drunk just because I'm going to tread lightly uh, after his his <laughs> yeah. pick last week. Uh, give him the yeah. benefit of the doubt a little bit there, but I'm still out on this pick. He's been talking yeah. this one up too. Like he he messaged this on Friday that he's ready for this game. So. I mean, his gut's really telling him, but he also said that he could just have gas. So I don't know what what to believe here. So, well, why don't you guys go ahead and pitch your upsets for this week? So I have, um, I have multiple ones on here, um, but I'm just gonna go with the one I feel the most, and I'm gonna go with North Carolina over UCLA, and um, the biggest. Yeah, the biggest reason for that, I love the way that Caleb Love is playing. He's playing like a completely different player than he was last year. Last year, it was just completely inefficient. This year, it's a completely different story. Uh, Amanda Bacot, he is he's playing really nice right now as well. Uh, they got a, a lot of their role players going, and you know they seem to have found their found their identity. I'm not going to say that. You know they're a they're a national championship team, um, but you know this is the regular season, and uh, upsets happen in the regular season just as they do in the the tournament. And so, um, 
I was I was feeling UNC over UCLA, and um, I, I feel like UNC is looking for some of that uh, that national spotlight again. So let me get a let me get a little bit of that. I'll go ahead and buy a case of this. I was kind of feeling this too. I couldn't find any um, hard stats to prove it, but I do like it was one of those gut check moments where I'm like, I feel like this could definitely happen. You know, UCLA could have a bad game like they had against Gonzaga and yeah. uh, the, the size and length of UNC could bother them. So yeah, I, I I'll get a case on this. Yeah, I think hmm, I, I'll do, I'll do a six pack. I think that Amanda Bacot has been in the league or in college basketball for like, 85 years it feels like that dude seems ancient he's only like a junior but um yeah just from watching i've watched probably two and a half ucla games this year so i don't have a ton of experience with them but just seems like that the one thing that can really bother them is length and size and Mm -hmm. unc is flawed and i already uh, threw shade at Jim Beheim as being the most overrated coach. And I think Roy Williams is up there for another most overrated coach in college basketball. But the one thing that he does is gets his guys to offensive rebound and get size into the building that can make it tough for teams that try and go small. Uh, so I could, I could see this definitely happening. Uh, like I said, I'll buy, I'll buy a six pack on it. Roy Williams isn't coaching by the way. Oh Yeah. will not have an impact on this game uh well regardless my statement still remains true even though he's not there but good call (laughs) i was like i mean like he might be helping out like there i wouldn't i wouldn't put it past him to help out but he's definitely not the head coach anymore (laughs) i just i just try and find every like opportunity i can to to, to rag on Bayheim or uh, Roy Williams. And I hit the, I was trying to hit the trifecta or what, the bifecta, whatever, to <laughs> the two or the trifecta would be. Yeah. So I got, I got, I saw red for a second. That's, that's my bad. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that, uh, you know, maybe if Roy Williams was coaching, UNC would probably be ranked like 15 right now, you know, at the start of the season. But as a new coach, they weren't, they weren't ranked. And, uh, you know, they're still not ranked, and they haven't had, like, great wins, but they haven't had bad losses either. So they're flying under the radar. I think they can they could probably make a decent run in the tournament. But I think, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think this could be a game that's, like, they could they could upset UCLA here. So, All right. You, I know both of you all watch a lot of uh, NBA and also are big college basketball fans. So I'm going to start this off with a trivia question. Uh, does – do either of you all remember where Damian Lillard went to college? Weber State. Good. I'm glad we have two other people on this podcast that are intelligent uh, with their basketball. <laughs> they play They play BYU and Utah State this week. Um, I think that they have the opportunity to get both upsets, so I honestly would be fine with taking either. But I'm going to pitch the BYU upset just because that would be a bigger upset. Um, the, the kind of the pitch here is Weber state has a lot of height. Actually, they, in terms of the like average height of their team, they average almost an entire inch taller than the, um, than the BYU team they're going to be matching up against. And Weber state has also, uh, gotten 
kind of pretty unlucky with uh, a couple things. And uh, like throughout the the season that have made them kind of seem less good than they actually are. Um, they have a young team that's just kind of coming together. They have this stretch of Utah State, BYU, and then Fresno State uh, next week that is kind of a make-or-break time for them. So I think they'll get up for at least one of these games. But like I said, I'll go BYU just for the splash factor. Um, is it at BYU? Or at it's, Weber State? It's, it's at Weber State. Yeah. All right, give me a keg on this because BYU has had opportunities to be really good, and they've shown that. And they've also kind of crapped the bed a couple times this year. And it's not like it was just a one, one-off one game. They've, they've had two upsets on the year, I believe. So – I'm going to go with the keg on this because I think I, I agree with you. I think the, the height of Weber state could definitely give them um, some problems and uh, being a, a road game at Weber state. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. Give me a keg. And Connor, I know we've talked about it before, but the, one of the big things that teams can do to either cause an upset or stave off an upset is turning the opponent over and BYU does a terrible job of turning mm-hmm. the opponent over. So I think that Weber State, if they can, you know, run their offense, they're really efficient because of their height. They're really efficient from two-point range. Uh, if they can not turn the ball over, I think they have a definite shot to, to pull this off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so BYU started this year by uh, they beat San Diego State um, at home, and then they beat – uh, Oregon team who, you know, w- was at the time extremely overrated and they had a lot of expectations coming into this year. So, um, you know, then they beat Utah. Then they got exalted all the way up to the number 13 spot in the AP poll. And, you know, right when that happened, everybody was on the BYU train. And then, you know, right after that Utah loss, they lose to Utah Valley. And then, you know, uh, Saturday they lost to Creighton by 12 on a neutral floor. So, uh, you know, Weber State is no, uh, is no cupcake team. They're 112 in the, in the Ken Palm rankings, and that's normally what I go by. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with a keg on this as well. Um, I, I, really like, I really like the pick. Uh, BYU is sliding quite a bit, um, especially, you know, with it being there at Weber State. I love the pick. Shout out Utah State as well. They were, uh, they were one of my – possible upsets over uh over Iowa this week so uh but you know I, I'm gonna go with Weber stay over BYU with a keg big old kegerator on this one too yeah like I said I'm, I'm with the keg on this one I like it I think BYU had the benefit of beating a really bad and overrated Oregon team so yeah good good pitch there Dal you, you sold me on this one for sure appreciate it y'all all right yes, so sir. I'm going to give a shout out to the St. Louis Billikens and I am pitching them to beat Auburn 72-69. Nice for their for nice. Auburn's first true road game because Auburn played USF in Amelie Arena, not in the Yangling Center, and uh it's on a it's a 9 p.m. game on a Friday night or maybe Saturday, I can't remember, but it's a 9 p.m. game so it's a later game in St. Louis. First true road game for Auburn. St. Louis shoots 36.3% from three, but they are, they only, their three point shots make up um, 24% of their scoring. So they're very effective with their three point shooting and they hit it when it counts. Auburn shoots 34% from three. 
but and it makes up for 35 percent of their scoring so if they are missing a lot it's gonna you know it's gonna affect their scoring overall absolutely um every team has a poor shooting night and st louis opponents average only 30 percent from three against them um so they're good at they're pretty decent at defending the three for the most part and uh, Ken Palm predicts that the final is going to be 78-71 Auburn. But like I said, I think Auburn's going to struggle from deep. So give me the Billikens over Auburn. Um, what do you guys think about this? Ooh. Um, so Auburn's 12 in Ken Palm. St. Louis is 82. Um, this is at uh, this is at St. Louis. So that has to factor, factor in quite a bit. Um isn't isn't St. Louis's head coach Travis Ford, former Kentucky point guard Travis Ford? Yep, I, I believe it is. Um, so, um, you know, with the with the analytics lining up, the stats lining up, and just a hell of a sell by Connor over here, um, I'm going to go with a case on this one. I'm going to go with a case. Let's go. Let's go. Um, I really like Jabari Smith and. Um, I, I haven't got to watch Auburn this year. Um, I haven't watched St. Louis either. But, um, yeah, it, it sounds great to me. Uh, it sounds like Auburn relies a whole lot on that three-point shot, you know, away in St. Louis. You know, if that's not falling, St. Louis, they beat some quality teams. They, they have beat some quality teams this year. They beat Boise State, uh, who's no gimme, and they've beaten Boston College. They lost uh, in a close game. Uh, against UAB, who is absolutely phenomenal this year, and I think they're going to win their conference. They lost to Belmont and they lost to Memphis, but um, yeah, I think I think I can get with this one definitely. Yeah, I, th- I think that I'll buy I'll buy like a six pack. I don't think it. I honestly don't think it happens, but I know I've mentioned it before, but. Jabari Smith sometimes looks like that he could be the number three pick in the draft. And then sometimes looks like, looks like that he's Bambi, like trying to walk on the the frozen pond and just looks like that he's a little baby deer that doesn't know what <laughs> like the game of basketball is or how his limbs work. So yeah. Maybe this is a game where he just comes out and is Bambi for most of the night and has no idea how his limbs work. Shooting is, is the tough thing. And if they have a sh- bad shooting night, it doesn't really matter. But the, the pace that Auburn plays with makes it just tough to kind of slow the game down a lot of the time, uh, which kind of worries kind of worries me a little bit. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll buy a six-pack. Like I said, I don't know if I actually believe it will happen, but I'm going to reward a hell of a pitch and uh, and get a six-pack just because. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. Last week I had a great pitch for Texas Tech over Tennessee, and T.J. Walker stole, like, my my pitch instantly and so i didn't really have any stats to prove otherwise but i did say maryland over florida last week as one of my options and that came true today so that came uh, through illinois almost upset arizona the other night so that almost came true but um yeah that was texas tech over tennessee was my number one pick on that last week and uh disappointed that i didn't get to claim it but you know i bought like four kegs on it from tj so (laughs) glad i went through with that you got so, you got plenty to to drink from that one. Yeah, that was that was great. I mean, it was an awful watching game, but as far as just watching Tennessee lose, that was great. So, yeah, um, yeah, I still think yeah, Tennessee or St. Louis is gonna be, it's gonna be a tough game. It's, like I said, it's they're only gonna win by three if they do win. Um, 
and I'm I'm a number one like Jabari Smith fan right now. I am mm-hmm. like a thousand percent on board for the Magic to draft him. I think there's that connection there now with Chumo Kiki. Like the Magic front office really trusts the the guys that Auburn like Auburn gets, and I think they've tried to get another, a couple other players from them before. Um, even though it didn't turn out in the draft that way, I still think that Jabari Smith could be a very good player. He just needs to get more experience, and like you said, he, he runs sometimes like a like a baby deer, and so he'll uh, he'll grow into that. He'll become more comfortable, and like we all said before, like sometimes the game just favors uh, players just are better in the in you know NBA than in the pros than you know college, and I think Jabari Smith is one of those cases where he's showing potential. And he has like a chance to be like the next, you know, Paul George in the, in the league. So I'm, I, I think he's going to do well, but I think he's going to struggle in this game against St. Louis on the road. So first true road game, they didn't do, they didn't look great against USF. And that wasn't even a true road game. Like I said, it was an Amelie arena. So it wasn't even like, it was a bigger arena than USF normally plays in. So they couldn't even pack it, which was stupid on their part. Like they should have just played it in the yeah. center and made it as loud as possible. But I don't know. They played where the lightning played, and that's just stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I like this one. Um, if I like, if I if someone pitching me, I'd probably buy a case or on it. Hard to buy yeah. a case on it just because Auburn has looked really good at times this year. Um, right. And like even against UConn, they didn't look bad. I mean, it went to double overtime, so it wasn't like it, they looked bad at all. So, not at all. So we're going to move on. We're going to introduce a new segment called Heroes and Zeros. This is the opportunity that we have to go ahead and share our opinions on this past week, who's a hero and who's a zero. When it comes to zeros, though, we're not going to bash like college players. That's just uncool to do. Not on board with that. But we can bash the professionals uh, as far as the coaching or you know maybe the presidents of the university or the ADs or just the universities themselves, we could say they're zeros or whatever, but individual players, we're not here to do that. We're only here to to pump those guys up. So I'm going to go ahead and lead us off with this one because I'm not sure if you guys have any for this week, but I definitely have some. So I'm actually going to give my zero first. My zero of the week is Kelvin Sampson. Um, the Houston head coach, I get it. You're pissed. There was a no-call goaltend, and I agree. It was a goaltend, not called but you are professional and you are leading in a shaper of men, you're a molder of men. And the way that he acted on, you know, going into the tunnel, throwing the trash can, throwing the chairs, it was a bad look, not a good look at all. You got to keep your composure there as a head coach, do it behind closed doors, but not in front of fans, not in front of, or it really shouldn't be doing it in front of your players at all. It should be happening in your coaches meetings or whatever, but you know, you have to be a professional there. And he 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 kind of showed his uh, he showed his butt there. So he's my zero of the week. But then I'm going to follow it up with the Houston guard Jamil Sheed. I think is how you pronounce his name, Jamil Sheed. He is the yeah. he said the guard. He's the one that after the you know the, some of the players that were pissed and uh, Kelvin Sampson was pissed. He went and they went in the locker room. Jamil Sheed, uh, Jamal Sheed stayed behind, picked up the trash, put all the trash back into the trash can, picked up the chair. It was just a real class act. So. Not everybody on Houston's class list, so I'm not saying that Houston uh, is a zero. I'm saying specifically the head coach and uh, Jamal Sheed is definitely the hero of the week, and uh, I'm I just appreciate you know people that have some class there. So, what do you guys got? My hero of the week is Iowa State in general. 
Um, you know, they they followed up, you know, their heck of a of a start in their um in their season by beating um who was it? They beat Iowa to uh, they they beat Iowa on Thursday, but um, let's see. They beat Jackson State today. They're still undefeated. Um, that Jackson State Austin. score was ugly, though. Yeah, that 47 37. That was trash, but it's a dub. So, uh, you know, Iowa State 10 and 0. Um, they're going to have a pretty easy week this week. They play Southeastern Louisiana, Chicago State. Wait, no, they don't, they only have one game this week against Southeastern Louisiana. So, but you, they had to replace quite a bit. Uh, shout out transfer portal. They had to replace quite a bit of the players that they had on last year's team. Um, they've got a new head coach in TJ Otzelberger, and um, he's just doing a phenomenal job. You know, his first year there, and uh, that though they are definitely my hero of the week, and my zero is. Um, Jay Wright and Villanova. Um, mm, they yeah. had they they had their chance to show America um, what they were made of. And today against Baylor, they laid an egg, shooting twenty two percent, six six of twenty seven from the three point line. And then against Syracuse, um, that game was pretty ugly as well. I thought they may may have at the at halftime they were I believe they were losing or close to losing. And um, they they shot thirteen of fifty from the three point line that game. So I think the, I, I think the zone may have had a little bit to do with all of those three point shots. But um, you know, twenty two percent and then twenty six percent from the three point line, and then laying the big dud today against Baylor, only scoring like what thirty five points, thirty six points. I mean, that's that's not a good look. Um, Villanova has to get has has to get the ship rolling. You know that they, they've had three opportunities to prove themselves. Well, four they they beat Tennessee, but they lost to uh, Baylor, Purdue, and UCLA. Um, it just kind of shows to me they really can't hang with the big dogs. Colin Gillespie is a nice player, um, as is you know Justin Moore and Caleb Daniels and Jermaine Samuels and Brandon Slater, but. Um, their their depth is an absolute problem, and I yeah. don't think that I, I think that's going to run them into some problems whenever it comes tournament time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What you got, Dan? Um, on on my end, uh, I'm going to take my what I was going to use in my last call and do my hero for the week, which is Alondis Williams, the uh, transfer guard from Oklahoma that might be one of the best transfers in the country this year I feel like he's gone kind of underrated um has had a couple like 20 point 30 point games but on what was it Saturday yeah Saturday he became just the second player in Wake Forest history to record a triple double granted it was against South Carolina upstate so not exactly a powerhouse of a team that he did it against but whenever you join a club that until now had only featured Tim Duncan, uh, you you deserve a shout out. So for sure. I think if you're doing a a like all transfer first team, he would have to be on there because and I know that I pitched this and it's part of being a homer, but 
the like Wake Forest is like a legitimately good basketball team now. And a lot of the reason is that he can just get a bucket literally whenever he wants. And he really showed his ability to rebound and play make uh, against South Carolina upstate. So he is my hero of the week. My zero of the week is just Florida basketball in general. (laughs) I'm not going to loop the Orlando magic in this for Connor's sake, but appreciate it. We are obviously recording this on a Sunday night (laughs) and tonight Florida lost by two to Maryland and the fighting Danny Mannings, who is their interim head coach. Danny Manning is a wonderful man. I hope he has nothing but success, but as a basketball coach, that man is buns and they lost to (laughs) Maryland in Brooklyn and then South Carolina, who is probably the second worst team in the SEC beat came back from down like 16 to beat Florida state tonight. So Leonard Hamilton and Mike white didn't do exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, this one was played like randomly in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So essentially a home game for South Carolina, but still to, to blow a lead against the, the game clocks this year is not a thing that you want to do. If you are trying to be a good basketball team and Florida, again, just continues to suck. So they're my zero. Yeah, there's no way that Mike White is not on the hot seat at this point. Um, Leonard Hamilton, I I get he's not on the hot seat yet. He's had too much success at FSU for him to be on it that quick. But Mike White has not had a lot of success in the last few years, and he's got to be on the hot seat soon. Bro, Mike White's seat is toasty right now. Absolutely. 100% agree. They started off. You know, really hot. And, you know, I believe they got into the AP Top 25. And then, you know. um, (laughs) Now they are not. Now, needless to say, they are not. So, and probably far from it. Yeah. It's bad. When you lose to Texas Southern and Maryland in the same week, you can't can't do that. Can't do that. So, um, I have a couple more, actually. Um, Another hero is uh, Rutgers guard uh, Ron Harper, Jr., for taking down the number one team in the nation. And you got some of you guys might have heard my live reaction to that, mine and Mike's live reaction to that on Bradley's basketball banner. Uh, That was so fun. Like, it was just ridiculous. In the middle of recording the podcast, (laughs) we had the game on, just ridiculous. Just I couldn't say anything, but, oh, my gosh. Like, that's all I could get out. So it was pretty fun. Speaking of reacting to that and just being able to say one thing, did you all see the call from the Rutgers – like the Rutgers broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. With that was the, the color commentator just yelling, let's go like yeah. seven <laughs> times. I was like, he started yeah. off. Let's go. I was like, all right, not the most, uh, not like the most professional as a, as a commentator, but you know, we'll let it slide. And then he just kept saying, let's yeah. go, let's go. And I was like, man, you committed to the bit. Like you do you, man. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. So he, uh, Ron Harper Jr., my hero of the week, also um, zero of the week. I'm going to have to go with Memphis and Penny. Just Ooh. lost to Murray State, you know. That's yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna buy a keg on that <laughs> zero right there. Yeah, they were originally like before I saw the video of uh, Jamal Sheed, you know, cleaning up the trash can. The, those two were my original heroes and zeros, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pitch both of them because. We can do that. We have less people on this week. So um, overall, I think it's a fun segment. could be fun to just talk about some random stuff. 
um i I'm, i might go uh you know another zeros just kentucky basketball twitter was just awful this weekend <laughs> you know so yeah there's that but we could save that for the last call so man we have kentucky a couple ba- of- kentucky basketball twitter is always a zero let's be honest yeah yeah and even when we're winning we're losing so oh <laughs> man it's the worst it's, so it's a it's an uphill battle <laughs> it is there's a couple of must-watch games of the week. This this upcoming week is not a good basketball week in general. Um, I don't know if it's because it's the end of the semester and just not there's not a whole lot of top 25 matchups. I only put three games on here, and that's uh, Texas Tech versus number five Gonzaga on Saturday at one. I don't think it's going to be that good of a game, but it could be. What's your guys? What's your prediction on this one? Um. So I had it uh, wrote down as a uh, Shark Tank Shark Tank upset um, possibility, and I don't have any facts to back that up, but um, I just have a, like a pint wrote down here. But um, I I don't I don't think Texas Tech beats Gonzaga personally. No, um, I, I think I, I, I think Gonzaga I, by ten is what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be I, in that buffer zone, but I think Gonzaga is going to pull it out. Uh, I just think it could be a good game, and it, if there is one that's going to be an upset, like this could be one to watch for. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, I think Gonzaga just has uh, has too much scoring, and they're not going to be able to keep up with them at all. Yep. What do you think, Dal? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it, what, a couple weeks ago whenever we were doing our Top 25, and I said, like, should we rank Texas Tech? Um, that, that was before they had really played anyone. Uh, and then they kind of hit a couple teams and lost a game or two that they probably shouldn't have lost. There, It's still one of those games where I think both of them are in the top 20. I think Texas Tech is like 19th on Ken Palm. So it seems like it would be closer than it like seems like it is on paper. Uh, but, yeah, I just – man, Gonzaga, I feel like that they're almost getting to the point where they're underrated because they've lost – yeah, what, three games now, but it's like they've lost three games to like three of the six best teams in the country, excluding them. So like, I don't know, man. I'd yeah, I'd kind of agree on like just don't think Texas Tech really has the horses to to keep up scoring wise with with Gonzaga, even though they do have a great defense. The thing is, it's it's Gonzaga's game to lose. So I think if they you know if they do lose, it's not that Texas Tech beat them, it's that Gonzaga beat themselves. I think it's yeah, one of those yeah, type of games. Definitely. Um which it definitely can happen. We've seen Gonzaga play poorly against Tarleton. Um they played they played pretty poorly against another bye game. So I mean it's not totally out of the question like we thought it was, you know, weeks one and two, but um especially after that after the UCLA game, we thought Gonzaga was a world beater and it turns out they're not. So and it, that's kind of been the theme all year is that, you know, you get ranked number one, and then you lose a game that you weren't supposed to lose. You know, Gonzaga, Duke, Purdue, you know. So we could go down the list. I mean, Purdue struggled today with NC State and went to overtime. So um, definitely one to watch out for. I think, like I said, I have uh, Gonzaga by 10, but I wouldn't be I – would, I would not be shocked one bit if Texas Tech pulls off an upset here. So we have uh we have the the shark tank pitch that um Mike had in UNC versus number 4 UCLA. You already we already kind of agree on this. Um I think we all bought a little bit of this. So I think UNC by like 3. What do you guys think? Yeah, I was I was thinking that's exactly the number I was thinking 3. Um I think it'll be a close game. 
if there's anything that, um, you know, I, I, I don't think, so I picked UNC over UCLA, but I, I don't necessarily think that North Carolina is the better team. I just no. think that it, no, not at all. And I, I think it just kind of works out that way. Um, kind of just, you know, playing with, uh, just, just playing around with it. So, um, I, I think the size ends up kind of biting UCLA in the butt, kind of similar to the the way Gonzaga did. You know, hopefully for UCLA's sake, they they got their shooting down pat that game. They're hitting their shots. It's on a neutral court, if I if I remember correctly. It's not neither at North Carolina or UCLA, so um, should be a fun game to watch. Yeah, I think is it is it in Vegas. I think so. Yeah, I think, I think so. it's the game that that Kentucky follows uh, this game. So that means yeah. us. Uh, what do you what do you think, Dal? We didn't get your uh, your prediction yeah. on this one. Like I said, I bought. I think I bought like a six pack of it. Um, but I honestly think UCLA uh, comes out with it. I'll say UCLA by four, but one of those things where I could definitely see UNC winning. Um, yeah. But. So that moves us on to. At the time, right now, number 10, Kentucky versus number 21, Ohio State. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd say Ohio State's going to be ranked higher than Kentucky is by the when Saturday rolls around. I think uh, Ohio State will probably be like 14 or 13, and Kentucky will be about 17 or 18, if not if not higher or lower, um, because you know it was just not a great loss against Notre Dame, and Ohio State kind of thrashed Wisconsin this weekend, so... I have Kentucky still winning this one, surprisingly, not just being a homer. I just think, you know, it took Kentucky shooting 10% from three um, to lose um, with committing five, only committing five turnovers and holding the other team to 66 points. Um, So I I have Kentucky winning by five in this one. Uh, What do you guys think? Yeah, I have, um, I have Kentucky winning by like four or five. I'll, I'll just go with four just to be different with you. Um, by not much, can't really say it's you know <laughs> completely not not really much, but I think that Kentucky's backcourt will um, finally get things together, and that'll be the difference maker in this game. Uh, the biggest matchup to watch for is EJ Liddell. Well, I don't know if it'll be uh, Key or Key on Sheepway, or if it'll be e- EJ Liddell on Sheepway. Uh, I'm not sure what the matchup will be there. But, uh, you know, the, the Shibway-Liddell matchup here is really enticing. should be a fun one to watch. But I think Tata Washington responds with, you know, having a bad game, just, you know, six points against Notre Dame. And Severe Wheeler just being a complete, completely non-factor in that game. And I don't think they even played him in the last four or five minutes of the game no. because he, he was such a non-factor. So, Let's let's just hope um, that they that they that they're on their p's and q's and they get the ball rolling and um, get things back going on the right track against Ohio State. So yeah, let, let, give me uh, give me Kentucky by four over Ohio State. Yeah, I honestly like the matchup, especially with Oscar. Just he's so big that I like that matchup for Kentucky a lot. I do think that. Coming off a, a stretch where they didn't really have a bunch of teams to really challenge them, uh, I think that the Notre Dame loss will kind of at least hopefully kick them into gear a little bit, and they should have a bounce back. 
I mean, there are so many things about that Notre Dame loss that are fluky. We shot two for 19 from the three-point line. Um, I mean, again, the five turnovers is fluky in a good way, but still fluky. Like, there were just so many things that seemed to be kind of one-offs that happened in the Notre Dame game, which is one of the reasons why I was so frustrated, even more so than I normally am, with kind of the doom and gloom Kentucky uh, Twitter space uh that everyone seemed to be in but yeah i mean i could definitely see especially i think that with jacob Toppin back it's one of the things that we kind of missed playing against duke is having someone that could be athletic and guard that four spot and jacob Toppin seems to be able to do that a little bit better than keon uh especially like i said on the athleticism side so i i'll go I'll go Kentucky by two. I think that they get a last-second shot to drop after having about seven or eight not drop in the last in the last two games or last two seasons. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's bound to average out. It's got to average out at some point would, and level would, out. You know, here. I'm so. about this. When is the last buzzer beater that UK has won on? Is it? It's got to be Houston. Houston wins in the tournament. No, it's got to be Houston. Well, I guess that wasn't a buzzer beater, but last, like a last. You talking about like a last minute shot or actual buzzer beater? Like last, like with three seconds left or less. It's, then probably you're right, Harrison Twins. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like, it just was the, like uh, been so many opportunities where we've had to win kind of on a last second shot, and it hasn't gone down. I was thinking about that the other day. Um, just a random thought. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Like Harrison Twins, I mean, under a minute to go, Tyler Hero versus Houston in Sweet 16. That was yeah, uh, yeah. that was a pretty big shot. You know, there were like, like two possessions after that, right? Yeah, I think so. Maybe one or two at most, but you know, that was definitely one that sticks out. That was a big that that one, and like it, it was almost mimicked by uh, it almost mimicked the Malik Monk, Monk uh, UNC shot. Um, yep. the one that he made, you know, obviously. Yep. Yep. So that I mean that I'll I'll roll this right into my last call. Uh Kentucky Twitter, like we we have to stop overreacting to some of these losses. And I, I tend to overreact a lot, but this one was not one that I overreacted because you know, like my man Dow pointed out, you know, it's a Ken Palm fifty one team. So it's not like it was Evansville. Like we I feel like we over more we acted worse to this Notre Dame loss than we did to the Evansville loss. And Evansville was a far worse loss by like all means, you know, like it was just a terrible loss all around. We were ranked number one. There was no reason for us to lose to a team like that. Um, But that's that, you know, just segueing into this, like this Kentucky team. And I said it from the beginning, is going to be like the Brandon Knight team or the 1920 IQ maxi Hagen's team. And uh, it's kind of trending towards that way a little bit where, you know, they have to figure some things out. But overall, you have to like what's there. That team ended up winning the SEC by four games and didn't get an SEC tournament or March Madness. And I think if they did get a tournament appearance that wasn't canceled by COVID, then we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be so quick to say fire Cal. And we wouldn't be all about, like, you know, Kentucky 17 and 19 and since 2015 against Power 5 teams. It's It's funny how we only count 2015, but... Um, from then on, somebody pointed out that Kentucky is 
0 uh, and 8 and uh, against ACC teams. And I said, well, why are we stopping at eight games? Because that's the one that fits your narrative. Like we lost eight straight against ACC teams. Okay, that's fine. What about, you know, 2016, 2017, where they beat like four ACC teams that year? And, you know, the list goes on. So stop overreacting. Stop taking stats to just fit your narrative. Like you got to look at it perspective as a whole. And, uh, you know, like two losses on the season and a year coming off that we had only one win for the first like 10 games of the season last year, you got to be better than that. Like we got to be better as a, just as a group. So that's my last call. What do you guys got? Completely agree with you. Um, so this past week for me, um, if you listen to this podcast, I'm assuming you're familiar with me. Most, you know, Connor's kind of plugged in with Kentucky fans. Kentucky fans are kind of plugged in with me. This week has been has really thrown a curveball with me. I plan on getting back on track this week. Um, have a Christmas this coming up weekend, so you know I've got a lot of catch up catching up on. Uh, be on the lookout for my first bracketology coming out um, within the next couple of weeks. Um, with a with a lot more uh, meaningful games to be played, um, but uh, I, t- I take complete responsibility for Kentucky losing that game yesterday because I was not there to watch it. So uh, you guys forgive me for that. Boo this man. Boo. <laughs> just, just boo. Just boo me out of the podcast. I actually blame Matt Sack because he's he guaranteed a Notre Dame win before the game happened. So I uh, I blame him. He said that he's going to talk about this win against Notre Dame on his podcast, Courtside Connect. And then, you know, we lost to Notre Dame. Uh, every time he puts a team in the top 10, they end up losing. So, um, yeah, this is, it's, we're time, it's almost time to cancel sack here. Yes, it's time. All right, so my thing, and this is kind of piggybacking on Connor's point, but if we're going to talk about trends and, oh, this team has done this in this amount of time, can we please acknowledge – when things are either outliers or are coming off of small sample sizes. Kentucky shot two for 19 in their game against Notre Dame. This is just the example that has been on my mind the most recently because obviously we're Kentucky fans. But, like, we're not going to shoot two for 19 every damn time we go out there. Like, we have competent three-point shooters that, like – have proven over a much larger sample that they can hit threes. So picking the one game that they don't hit threes and being like, oh, we can't shoot. We need to do blah, blah, blah. Like, no. And it's one of the things that annoys me about BJ Boston dropping to 51 in the draft last year. And I've gotten jabbed by some some guys in another group message I'm in about him because I was higher on him than most all through last year, and it just absolutely infuriated me that Zaire Williams got picked 10th, which good for him for getting picked in the lottery still. But he got picked in the lottery, and BJ dropped to 51st, and then BJ Boston goes out and scores 27 in uh, a game for the Clippers the other day, which BJ Boston dropped because he essentially started the, the year off cold after like 10 – 10 games and didn't shoot well, but then came back in a bigger sample size in SEC play shot like 37%. And so just whenever you're looking at stats and using them to make a point, make sure that you're realizing 
how small sample sizes play into it because it'll make everyone feel better. I mean, to piggyback off of that, isn't that the same kind of the same style that Tyler Hero started at Kentucky? He started off really poor from three, if I'm not mistaken, for the first like yes. nine games, ten games, he and did. then entered conference play and he, you know, struck gold, like hit, you know, got caught fire. We haven't even seen Kentucky's best basketball, and we're only nine games into the season. We've seen a lot of good basketball. I will say that much improved from last year, and we have, you know, one of the be- we have the best center in college basketball, in my opinion. And that's I don't think that's a hot take. If we had said that at the beginning of the year, it's like, well, Kofi Coburn hasn't played. Well, now he has, and Oscar's doing as good of a job, if not better than Kofi Coburn and Jalen Duran. So everyone complaining like, oh, if only we had a Kofi or Duran. It's like, no, what we really need is a Jaden Hardy on this team. You know, just a certified wing star. But it's okay because we have the depth of enough guards that can carry us through March, and one bad game in December is not going to determine the fate of this team. So, Oh, you, oh, you mean like a Shaden Sharp? Well... I'm on board that Michael. Michael, who's that? I've never heard of him. I'm on. I'm on the you know like let's get him in. It doesn't hurt. Train because yeah. it's not like we have a lot of chemistry right now where it would shake that up. Like we're not playing Dante Allen. Like he didn't get a single minute in this past you know against Notre Dame. Davion Mintz then you wasn't at, like he was zero for five from three. Kellen yeah. Grady was two for seven from three. Ty Ty Washington and Brooks had the same amount of three point attempts as. Um, Sabia Wheeler. Bryce Hopkins was 0 for 2 from 3. So, you know, there was, it's not like, and like Dal, you said, that's not going to happen every game, but I'd rather us go 2 for 19 with our actual three pointer shooter shooting than, you know, like our non shooters. Like, so if it means that we need to bring in Shaden Sharp and somebody, you know, Kellen Grady comes off the bench, which would not be a bad thing at all considering he's like a super senior. Davion Mintz is a super senior. They have the experience. Uh, could you imagine just having a bench where Kellen Grady and Davion on Davion Mintz comes off the bench to relieve Ty Ty Washington and Xavier Willer? Like that would be insane. There was not another team that deep. And so I'm definitely on board that you bring in Shaden Sharp. And I know a lot of people disagree with me. I think at this point we have nothing to lose by adding him. So, you know, there's that. What do you guys think? Yeah, just hearing you talk about that in my my pants are soaking wet now. No, I'm just joking. But uh. <laughs> we, we needed we needed an appropriate comment. So uh, without Matt here, so I'm glad that you. Yeah, that'll that, definitely get the drop at the end. Hell yeah! Bring me shade and sharp. I want all the Canada players that we can get. Uh, Canada is our good luck charm, but Shaden is definitely welcome here. As soon as he gets on campus, you know, give him a couple weeks to get to get familiar with the offense, get get familiar with the team and the scheme and everything like that and just up the speed. But uh, he definitely raises the floor of this team. I'm, I'm excited to see him play. If if he does play, I think he will. I think there's like a, um 80% chance that he plays. So bring him on. If Kentucky – so like the thing with Duke is that we're like, oh, it's the first game of the season. You know, if we expected to win this one when we were not favored to win – that's kind of ridiculous. I get that. So let's say Kentucky, you know, when they play Kansas in January, they lose. I'm okay with a Kentucky loss if it opens the eyes of Cal and the staff and pretty much everyone else to say, all right, our ceiling is absolutely raised where we can compete and be an actual contender for the title this year if we bring in Shaden, like if Shaden Sharp gets significant minutes. Let's commit to this for the next month and see if this improves. 
And if it doesn't, then it doesn't work. That's okay, because it's not like we're losing him forever. He's coming back next year. What you want is him to have this kind of experience this year in a year that we don't really think, like, we could win a title this year, but I think the ceiling of this team currently is Sweet 16. That's my opinion. So yeah. why not add ceiling, the number one player? No, that's not what ceiling means. They they have the ceiling. They could be the Final Four team, like, pretty easily because this – it's I, that's just my opinion. Is random. Like, the ceiling that's the ceiling is the absolute like best case scenario okay There's but best, no case scenario, best case scenario best case scenario is that like everyone's hitting threes which that's not gonna happen and then but, i mean like the worst can, case scenario is a is. high ankle sprain from oscar oscar Sheway, and absolutely sweet 16s are ceiling that's, a, that's not what yeah. a ceiling is the ceiling is the absolute best thing they could do all right. Agree to disagree. I think I think the best we could do right now, nine games into the season, I think the best we could do right now is the Sweet Sixteen because some players haven't shown that they can they could take us further. That's just my opinion. If we're only nine games in, though, isn't Sweet Sixteen? That's my point. Yeah, whatever. As of right now, they're ceiling unless they show it. That's but that's what I mean. It's not like assuming assuming they don't improve. Assuming they, they, this is how good as they're going to get each individual players, not like team play, but each individual players, that's the ceiling as of right now. You add in Shaden Sharp and he raises the ceiling. But I I understand your point. I'm just saying that's not what a ceiling is. Yeah. Whatever. I, 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 think, <laughs> I, 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 think, uh, I think our ceiling is the Sweet 16 as well. And uh, I think yeah, a lot of that has to do. I, 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 I think a lot of that has to do with our front court debt. And you know, uh, backcourt we're set, but you know, Kellen Grady's got to get more. We, we've got to get him more involved. Uh, first of all, he he doesn't need to just be like a spot shooter every now and then. He's a he's a gosh dang two thousand point scorer in his college career. Um, granted, you know, we we we're asking him to play a different role than he played at Davidson, but you know, he's a. a we, we need him to be a sharpshooter. We pass him the ball. He has an open look. You shoot that damn ball. Yeah. Like, don't pass that up. You shoot it. That's what you're here for. That's what we brought you in for. We didn't bring you here to be a, a ball-handling playmaker. No. That's that's what you did at Davidson. And you scored as well because you had, uh, obviously, more opportunities because you have less talented players. But you, if you're in there, you get the ball, you have an open look. Shoot the ball. That's where That's I think what we need you to do. We bring in Shaden Sharp, and he can he can make you know, he could create plays for himself better than Kellen Grady can. And so I think you bring in Shaden Sharp, and you put Grady on the bench. And this is not like a slight to Grady; he's one of my favorite players on the team this year. I do agree; we don't do enough to get him the looks that he needs. Um, but he also hesitates a lot. There was a couple of times against Notre Dame where he gets he gets the ball in an immediate catch-and-shoot situation, and he hesitates, and then he passes it. It's like, you need to be shooting those, and if you don't, then you're going to get pulled. Like, it's nothing personal. It's just that's your assignment, and you're not doing it right now. So, And it's not like we're keeping him out there for defense, so it's almost like on offense our hands are tied when he doesn't get the ball, um, but he doesn't he doesn't look to create for himself without the ball. Like his off-ball mu- movement is pretty poor. That's where I think Shaden Sharp can be better. Um, he's really good at cutting. Um, and he's good with the ball in his hands as well. So, like, you have three players that can bring the ball up and score from pretty much anywhere in the court except for Wheeler can't shoot from three. So 
you know, there's an opportunity for Ty Ty Wheeler and Grady or not Ty Ty Sharp and Grady, all three to be on the court, court at the same time. That's, that's a crazy lineup at some point. That's like the death lineup if you're going for scoring. So, um, you know, and then like Dal, you said this weekend, like if you bring in Sharp, there is a chance because he's so tall uh, for a wing that he could, um, you could do a four out like with him, like you said. So, yeah, that the thing that might drive me the most crazy is people acting like that four out is like the way this team should play and that we should play with four guards. And if we're doing that, we're playing either Dante Allen or Grady at the four. And that man already can't guard, like they can't guard twos. So (laughs) be able to guard fours is like completely absurd. But I mean, Shane Sharp is very much a three, if not like a two, three hybrid in the NBA, but for the college game, especially in year one, just where he is going to be admittedly like more raw, like, Playing him as a three-four kind of like wing that can that plays the three on offense, but can play the four on defense is could be incredibly valuable for this team that has a couple guys that hit that three-four kind of like tweener role with Jacob Toppin and Keon Brooks, but they both kind of skew more towards the four side as yeah. opposed to the three side on offense, which is the main place that we are really like missing a, a true like wing small forward score type that obviously Shaden Sharp is. So, yeah. And and there's games that Keon Brooks is on fire from three um, and mid range. And we've seen that. So you could even run uh Ty Ty Grady Sharp Brooks, Oscar in a lineup. And that would work too. Um, Cause like I said, all three of the, you know, the first three players in that lineup can bring the ball up and can score um, at any level if they wanted to. And uh, and Oscar, you know, Oscar knows his assignment. It's to get offensive rebounds when we miss, and he does it perfectly. Um, and he does it better than anyone in the country, and it's not even close. So I looked this up to bring it up at some point. But the player that is second in offensive rebound percentage in the country is rebounding. So this is – Offensive rebound percentage for those that don't know is the number of like opportunities for an offensive rebound when you're in the game. How many of those do you get? Uh, so it kind of evens it out for people that play more or less than uh, the others. So the number two player in the country has an offensive rebound percentage of 20.6. Oscar Sheway right now has an offensive rebound percentage of 25.2. So For every four shots we miss, Oscar is getting one of those rebounds, and that is insane. That is. It kind of speaks to how well Notre Dame did, keeping him from getting all those rebounds that he could have had this weekend. So shout out to Notre Dame for um, taking away probably the biggest statistic that we had going into this game, which was Oscar's offensive rebounding. So, um, you know, props to them for sure. They they did that, and they took away um, Wheeler's drive, which – was a recipe to be Kentucky. So yep. um, that's not totally. going to happen again, in my opinion. Like we're not going to see another game like this where Kentucky shoots that poorly from three. And, uh, you know, we don't have a game plan for when the shots aren't falling. That was the biggest thing is that Kentucky looked lost when three-point sh- shots weren't falling. They they got away with it against Duke. We'll see what goes from there, like what the game plan is from there. But, yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to add before we uh, close this out? 
I have a question no. for both of you. Yeah. Is there a Let's single go. is there a single tiny tiny percentage of a chance that UK could make the Elite Eight or the Final Four? Yeah. Well then yeah. that's not their ceiling isn't sweet sixteen. That's my final statement. Go Deeks. As of See, right now. Depends on the matchup. As you know, of right now, I, I'm not seeing it. And I was extremely high on this Kentucky team before the season started. But as of right now, I'm not seeing it. So, no, I think Sweet 16, I'm sticking to that, sticking to my guns. Fair Add enough. But Michael Sharp. sold you out, so I'm calling this one a win. <laughs> Adding Shaden Sharp raises our ceiling. So, I'm I, I'm very much on board that they're going to add Shaden Sharp. So, yes, technically yes, but not as of right now. If the tournament is chalky – and you know we're in the Sweet 16. We're say we're like a four seed playing against the number one seed. Well, that's not the best case scenario. But uh, you know, if if it's chalky, I don't think we we really have much of a chance to to make the Elite Eight, the, barring you know who the the team is and the matchup is. But um, you know, obviously, there's going to be upsets. So you know, there's always a chance. There's always a chance. But as of right now. I don't think that we're higher than a, a top 15 team at this very moment. So fair enough. Yeah. All right. So with that said, we're going to close this thing out. Mike, go ahead and share um, where we can find your work, where, what, where we can find you on social media and uh, just anything else you want to plug. I know you got a radio appearance tomorrow, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you guys can follow me at the bracket dude or the bracket guy, not dude, sorry. The bracket guy on Twitter. Um, I do bracketology for college basketball, and uh, I will be posting my bracketology updates on Twitter, but also I will be posting it on osmbracketology.com. Look for those in the next couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, I have a – I had a uh, strange little DM on Friday, and it was – it was a guy out of New York City, and he um, he wants to have me on tomorrow at eight twenty on his radio station. I will. Um, I don't. Let me hold on. Let me uh, let me see. Let me see the exact name of the radio station, and I will plug that so you guys can listen to that. Um, I'll only plug it if uh, you know if you give a shout out to Beers and Buckets on your interview tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, anyways, I'll I'll tweet it out, and uh, you guys can listen to it. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It was very much, you know, kind of not seen to happen, uh, foreseen anyways. But I'm excited about it. Um, you guys definitely drop in and listen. I'll be talking about Kentucky and, um, you know, how they've been playing this year and, uh, the forecast of uh, the rest of their season. So um, definitely looking forward to that. And I appreciate you guys having me on. This is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And you guys haven't even been doing this for what, you know, four weeks or so. This is episode six. So episode, we're, we're still very much okay. new to the game. I'm very yeah. excited to see where it goes, how you know, how yeah. far it takes us. Yeah, definitely. So, and, I, and I hope I've become a fam- familiar listen um, over you know the the coming months and years uh, for you guys, and I'm just happy to ha- happy to be on. Definitely, 
Yeah, man, definitely appreciate you you coming on. Um, you do great work on bracketology. Bracketology is kind of seems to be like a, a shot in the dark a lot of times, uh, but you do as good a job of of any as as I've seen. Uh, kind of you know going through, especially. I mean, not saying that you don't have sources, but like a lot of the guys that do bracketology on the top level are just essentially getting fed stuff from like the horse's mouth. You go through and actually look at the the stats and kind of reason through what you'd be uh, you'd be expecting. So always, always love to get your analysis on that side and really appreciate you joining us on, on the pod. Um, do you want to follow me on Twitter at do underscore well Harmon? So just keep, keep listening. Uh, we're, we're always open to feedback. So if you have a segment idea or something you want to hear, if you have a question for us, um, whatever, just shoot us a, a note on Twitter and yeah, thanks for thanks for listening, Michael. Thank you for coming on. Uh, go Deeks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming on. And it was last minute. Um, like we said, there was some scheduling error stuff, and uh, so I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna shoot Mike a text, see if he responds. You have my back, like always, man. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I really I appreciate you doing that. Um, it was fun having you on the Christmas uh, movie bracket breakdown. That was still fun. So. Um, you said yes. that round two is up for voting soon. Yes, it's up for voting soon. Um, so whenever you texted me, I was in my daughter's room playing Barbies with her. So um, <laughs> I was playing. We I had just given her a bath and uh, was about to take her to her mother's house. And so um, I wasn't really expecting this. Uh, you sent me the layout for you know everything we were going to be talking about, and I was like, oh okay, I'm going to take her to her mom's house, and I'm going to write down a few things here um, on, on what I want to hit on. But um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I'm just happy to be on here, brother. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, we really appreciate it. And it's easy to have people on there knowledgeable in college basketball that keep up with the game. And you obviously do that. You do a great job in OSM bracketology. Definitely one of the go-to places I check out. So um, you could follow me on Twitter at Connor J Caldwell. And you can follow me on Instagram there. I always post the uh, the podcast link on Instagram. Um, I haven't, We haven't made a Instagram for Beers and Buckets, but it's on the list to, of things to do. TikTok is on the way too. So we have a lot of good content coming your way, um, especially, hey. you know, especially as the season keeps rolling and conference play, you know, entering conference play. There's going to be a lot of fun Super Tuesday, so I'm excited for. And, uh, yeah, I think – all things considered, it's going pretty well, and I'm I'm just really excited that we have such a loyal following this early into the game. So, can't can't wait to see how we grow. Um, you bucket heads are great, and I think that's when we're going to call our listeners from now on is some bucket heads. So, you guys have a great week, Mike. Thanks again for coming on, Dow. Like it's a pleasure as all, like always. And uh, go, go let's see what's no, yeah, we go Deeks. We go yeah, Deeks. Yeah, shop around. Go. go Deeks. <laughs> go Deeks. I dig it. So you guys have a great week. Enjoy your evening. Enjoy your week. And we'll see you next week. Subscribe to the Beers and Buckets podcast or you're (laughs) an idiot. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be bleeping that one. (laughs) My pants are soaking wet now.